This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Jeremy Hunt, Britain's new Chancellor of the Exchequer, is expected to present a programme of fiscal discipline on Monday, weeks ahead of schedule, raising taxes and cutting spending. By reversing most of the reckless mini-budget announced on September 23rd, Mr Hunt hopes to calm markets before the trading week is fully underway. Liz Truss, the embattled Prime Minister, had initially wanted huge unfunded tax cuts. The pound rose by nearly 1% against the dollar in early trading in Asia. Russian forces sent Iranian-made drones raining down on central Kyiv one week after the start of a barrage intended as revenge against a Ukrainian attack on the bridge spanning the Kerch Strait. Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kyiv, said that one woman had been killed and three people hospitalized. Intense fighting has been reported in the city of Bakhmut in Donetsk, where Russian forces have continued to make advances. Nigeria's government said that 600 people have been killed by flooding in three quarters of the country's states. More than one million people have been displaced. Nigeria often experiences autumn floods, but this year the effects have been exacerbated by unusually heavy rain and climate change, as well as state government's failure to prepare adequately, according to the country's Minister of Humanitarian Affairs. Japan's Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, ordered an official inquiry into the Unification Church, a cult-like religious group. The group attracted scrutiny after the assassination of former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. The family of the man accused of killing him was linked to the church, and it was later revealed that almost half of Mr Abe's and Mr Kishida's Liberal Democratic Party had some contact with it as well. The two candidates in Brazil's presidential runoff election met for a televised debate. Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, a leftist former president, called Jair Bolsonaro, the populist incumbent, the king of fake news, saying his policies were responsible for half of Brazil's 680,000 COVID-19 deaths. Mr Bolsonaro attacked his opponent's alleged history of corruption. Lula is the slight favourite to prevail in the election on October 30th. Tunisia struck a preliminary agreement with the IMF, committing to reforms in exchange for a $1.9 billion loan. The indebted North African economy lacks food and fuel and has been racked by protests. But the government has dragged its feet on cuts to subsidies and public sector wages. If the IMF board ratifies the deal, it could pave the way for other donors. The 20th Communist Party Congress opened in Beijing on Sunday, with Xi Jinping pledging to reunify China by bringing Taiwan under the mainland's control. China's president also defended his increasingly painful zero-Covid policy, calling measures to contain the virus an all-out people's war. China watchers everywhere scrambled to interpret every aspect of his two-hour speech. Despite a convention that party leaders serve a maximum of two five-year terms, the Congress is expected to bestow a third to Mr Xi. And fact of the day. 31. 
The number of days served by Britain's shortest-serving Chancellor Ian Macleod, eight fewer than Kwasi Kwarteng, who was sacked last week. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. NATO's not so routine nuclear drills. On Monday, NATO is expected to carry out its annual nuclear drills, Steadfast Noon. The exercises in Belgium, postponed from earlier this year after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, include 14 of the alliance's 30 members. There will be no live warheads, but the maneuvers include jets that can carry nuclear bombs. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has called the operation quote, "routine training." Designed to keep the deterrent safe, secure, and effective, but the war in Ukraine means that the drills will be far from business as usual. Russia's president Vladimir Putin has made transparent threats to use nuclear weapons amid his faltering invasion. The head of GCHQ, Britain's spy agency, said last week that there was no sign of an imminent attack, but fears of escalation are real. NATO expects that Russia will soon hold its own nuclear exercise, dubbed Grom. The alliance is betting that conducting its nuclear drills helps keep its deterrent potent. Mr. Stoltenberg says that avoiding escalation requires quote, firm, predictable behaviour. Observers will hope he is right. Chinese cars plug into European markets. Skeptical of splurging marketing budgets on fancy stands in vast exhibition centres, few of the world's car makers will congregate in Paris for the first motor show in the city since 2018, which opens on Monday. Flying the Tricolore will be France's Renault and Peugeot, the latter of which joins other brands owned by Stellantis. More notable will be the appearance of BYD and Great Wall Motors. Two Chinese brands that will use the event to flaunt electric cars they hope will break into the European market. China, home to the world's biggest car industry, also churns out more electric vehicles than any other country. Several of its makers have Europe in their sights. Neo, a Tesla wannabe, recently showed off three electric models in Berlin that will soon be more widely available on the continent. Already, nearly one in twenty EVs sold in Europe is Chinese. Europe's car makers, already struggling with the fallout from the pandemic and the transition to electrification, face one more problem. India's oldest party seeks a revamp. On Monday, members of the Congress, India's main opposition party, will vote for a new president. For the first time in nearly 25 years, the new boss will be someone outside of the Gandhi clan. Which has long run the party as a family business. The choices between Shashi Tharoor, a smooth-talking diplomat turned politician, and Malikarjan Kaji, an 80-year-old party veteran and Gandhi family stooge, Mr. Tharoor believes that fresh, non-dynasty leadership can revitalize India's grand old party. With a general election less than two years away, the Congress desperately needs it. In the past two elections, the party has been swept aside by the ruling Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party. In 2019, the BJP took nearly double the Congress's share of the vote, but Mr. Tharoor's hopes may be in vain. 
the build-up to the Congress's leadership election has featured the same ineptitude and infighting that have dogged the party for years. More importantly, the Gandhi family is unlikely to cede control. Mr Kargi is expected to win comfortably. Jeremy Hunt takes the wheel. A fortnight ago, Jeremy Hunt's career in high office appeared to be at an end. An affable and fastidious former foreign secretary, he had twice run to be leader of the Conservative Party without success. Now he is the most powerful man in Britain. On October the 14th, Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, fired Kwasi Kwarteng, a close ally, as Chancellor and appointed Mr Hunt in his place. He was tasked with clawing back the trust of bond markets after Mr Kwarteng's tax-cutting budget had triggered a market meltdown. But a partial reversal of some measures on Friday wasn't enough to satisfy traders. So over the weekend, Mr Hunt made clear that more U-turns, new tax rises and cuts to government spending would be necessary. With Mr Hunt in the driving seat, Ms Truss is now Prime Minister in name only. Conservative MPs are clamouring to force her from office. Westminster this week will be a viper's nest. The Six Booker Hopefuls The Booker Prize briefly turns literature into hot news. The most coveted honour in English-language fiction to be awarded on Monday night makes six titles glow with the heat of incendiary headlines. In Glory, No Violet Bulawayo's Talking Animals stage a political parade of her unhappy homeland, Zimbabwe. Percival Everett's The Trees blends mystery, horror and elegy as it unearths racist atrocities in the American South. Shehan Karuna Tilaka's The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida, an incandescent tragicomic story narrated by a ghost, torches corruption and injustice in Sri Lanka. Quietly and succinctly, at 116 pages, Hers is the shortest book ever shortlisted. Claire Keegan burns through rural Ireland's abusive secrets in Small Things Like These. Alan Garner, a veteran fabulist, unites northern English folklore with quantum physics in Treacle Water. And O. William is the third instalment in a laundered family saga by Elizabeth Strout, an American author. Her book is popular with bookworms and bookies alike. For sheer prose chisper, Mr. Karuna Tilaka should take the gong, but glory might live up to its name. Daily Quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday, which credit card used the slogan, don't leave home without it? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Arthur Miller, who was born on this day in 1915. An era can be said to end when its basic illusions are exhausted. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. 
You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. 